Thank you all for tuning in to the Your Edge podcast. I'm Therese Van Ryan, Senior Director of External Communications at Zebra Technologies, and I'm joined today by three public safety experts who have been working closely with agencies in North America and Europe over the last several years to integrate technology into frontline operations. Together, they've been able to help increase situational awareness and real-time coordination capabilities for law enforcement officers, firefighters, and emergency medical technicians, otherwise known as EMTs. To let you know who they are, first we have Rob Karsh. He is a senior sales engineer on Zebra's government team, and he spent the last 20 years working closely with regional sales personnel, partners, and customers in the state and local government sector to develop and implement technology solutions built specifically for the needs of public safety professionals. We also have Matt Rotten. He's the government and public safety lead for Zebra in the UK and Ireland, and he is a strong advocate for technological innovation and improvements in the emergency services space. Matt collaborates closely with cross-functional teams within Zebra, as well as public safety organizations to research, develop, and implement technology solutions that support the operational effectiveness and efficiencies needed across the government sector. And last but not least, Steve Wright. Steve joined us in 2021 at Zebra as our global government practice lead and has spent several years in the government space and has extensive experience procuring and using technology at the federal level. In fact, all three of our guests today have served in frontline public safety roles at some point in their careers. It's great to have you all with us today. Thank you so much for being here. Rob, I'd like to kick it off with you. I understand you were actually a police officer for 20 years. Is that correct? Well, first, Therese, thank you very much for having me. Um, oh, it's a pleasure. And, and yes, you are right. Um, actually, 23 years, if you include my Army time where I served as an MP. Uh, I came out of the Army and, and joined the police department first off. And I spent my entire career working in the patrol division. Uh, the last five years, I, I worked as the patrol commander and also took on the task of network administrator. Uh, with that role, I became responsible uh, for deploying a, a mobile workforce in our cruisers. We hadn't previously had any technology in them. And I will tell you that my first deployment was with a consumer-grade laptop, something we come up against quite frequently here in the field. Mm -hmm. And uh, I will also tell you that that failed miserably within 18 months. Um, it, it, uh, the chief had decided that that was a good way to go and it was cheaper to replace inexpensive broken laptops with new ones than spend uh, more money on rugged devices that were available at the time. Uh, it became obvious that this was a, a costly mistake, of course, and aside from the cost of the replacements, some of the things that we encountered were, were loss of man hours or productivity, as we say, in a lot of areas of our business. And this was due to the, the unavailability of not only the, the equipment, the laptop that was gone out for repair, um, but also for, for officers um, having the inability to complete their reports in a timely manner. And mm. they, they had to revert to pen and paper. Um, and then that information was followed by manual data entry, either by the officer or someone that did transcription uh, in the police station. Um, so needless to say, not only was it time consuming, it also created data errors. Um, the manual data error, uh, uh, the manual data entry 
um, as I said, it, you know, it, it caused errors because sometimes I sometimes I can't even read my own writing. And when somebody else reading it and, and trying to transcribe it. Um, so so that created challenges. Uh, so the increase in technology has really changed the way that officers are able to do their jobs. Um, I'm, I'd say that about 80 percent of, of an officer's job, believe it or not, involves either um, report writing or documentation um, aside from and above responding to calls and handling incidents uh, for the public. Mm-hmm. Um, so to be able to do that once and make it easier and more accurate really is a huge benefit to officers in the field. Right. Right. Um, so once we once we realized that those consumer devices weren't the, the answer, we, we began to look for a more rugged solution. And the chief gave me a little bit more leeway in uh, investigation of, of, of a good solution. Um, and that led led me to the rugged uh, field of, of devices that were available. Uh, of course, the, you know, we're, we're all aware that there were rugged laptops out there. Uh, but I also came across what was kind of new to me, uh, and that was the rugged tablet. Um, and it was it was rather interesting because it it provided a great solution because it allowed for more mobility of the computers. Um, a laptop, the, the heavy laptops were, were challenging, um, and and I say mobile, uh, but they really uh, weren't mobile because uh, they, they they were mobile, but they weren't more portable. I guess I would say hmm. um, they weighed over five pounds, uh, and that didn't bode well for us being able to do mobile computing outside of our vehicles. Um, so, so it added a challenge to the officers. And our plan really was to get an officer out of his, out of his vehicle, uh, keep them out of the station uh, so that they could be doing report writing and all in the, in the cars, but also get them out of the vehicle and using technology. Um, we were kind of early adopters um, and, and for the concepts that we had put together. Sure. Uh, I'll tell you, it's, it's been really interesting over the years to see police work transform from when I first started with pen and paper and, and typewriters, um, where I'd go in the station and type my reports to then change it to computers in the station where I went into the station and typed my reports into a computer and it was electronically saved. Um, where we are today with, with the tablets and the cruisers where we can not only use them in our vehicles, but also carry them into the station to complete the reports, uh, process arrests, and also out in the field actually where an officer can document things like crime scenes, uh, photograph accident scenes, uh, incidents, and even even get statements from victims and witnesses in real time, which sometimes can be really critical because uh, you have so, quite often only one chance to get it. And if you miss that opportunity, then then that witness statement or that, that victim statement can be lost. Uh, so it's, it's really helped greatly in uh, the uh process of doing officers jobs uh, with the advent of the technology. Mm-hmm. I appreciate that overview, Rob. Thank you. Matt, I understand you were a firefighter for nearly 15 years before you transitioned full-time into the tech space. Uh, hey, Tweet. Yeah, that's correct. Um, again, thanks for having me. So um, based in the UK, I, I had the, the honor and the privilege of working in the UK Fire and Rescue Service uh, for, for that period of time. So joined around 2003. Um, and and uh, similar to Rob, really, you know, throughout the progression of my career there, um, I saw a massive change of, of technology from day one where we go into burning buildings with really, really quite 
poor torch lights. I mean, you can't see much in a fire building anyway, but um, but the torches we had back then were pretty shocking compared to sort of LED lights and the technology that's around today. But I think that, you know, the passion that I had were going through that career saw me um, exposed to a whole whole raft of different both technology, but also challenges and changes across the sector. Mm-hmm. I think if we consider, you know, post um, September the 11th, the tragic events of there globally, there was the ripple effect of change on communications and all sorts of stuff. And I was I was quite fortunate throughout the period when we think back to the first mobile phones and first smartphones coming in, you know, moving through that 10, 15 year period to go through promotion, um, various different operational roles, different junior officer roles and then commander roles. And then into middle management and working from more of a headquarters based role on call, but also leading change projects. So that was engagement around, you know, what our culture was about, what was the what were the challenges and very problem focused and what could technology bring into that? So we were able to bring some really interesting uh, projects to bear from that. And also interoperation, interoperability, you know, multi-agency response. So what was it that the fire service would bring alongside police and specialists within police uh, and also the, the ambulance and paramedics or EMT environment? And how could we uh, cross collaborate more effectively? Technology was a big enabler in that space. So we could talk more about that as we go through. But, yeah, that was that was me, really. That's, you know, that, that's the, the time I spent mostly operational um, enjoyed the uniform. Didn't enjoy the fact I wasn't allowed to grow a beard throughout that time because of breeding apparatus and all that stuff. But I've made up for that since I've, since I've, I've been in uh, in the technology industry. There you go. Well, that was going to be my next question. What made you switch careers? Was it the beard or something else? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I, I'm assured that I do look better uh, by my wife, I hasten to add, uh, with the beard. Um, but, uh, yeah, I, it, there was, a, there was a, a, a raft of, I guess, um, influences on that for me so one being um where i was in my career at the time and seeing certain changes on conditions of service and things like that and it, it was it was a, a time where i was driving a lot of different technology projects and we'd been fortunate because i was in an organization where we were able to give ourselves we took that understanding that we needed time and space we needed time and space to understand the problems but also to support in driving the culture of change and in that time and space i spent a lot of time in the tech industry you know, trying to really work out art of the possible and and also learning that actually you're better to start making steps to, to it's, it, do incremental steps. You can't boil the ocean. You can't solve everything. But as long as you understand the interdependencies between different problems you've got within an organization, you can start to um, through step a stepped approach to make those changes in that process. Um, I realized, actually, I, you know, I had, I had a lot of opportunity presented to me, which is always quite tempting. Um, and I think at the same time, changes of conditions of service, it was something that I thought, you know, it's you live once. I've thoroughly enjoyed my career. I miss it every day still now, but I've still got great contacts and colleagues that forever, like uh, like no doubt Steve and Rob do. You know, you you create bonds with your colleagues in those environments that literally will, will um, last forever. So, yeah, uh, so here I am. And I, and I left and went and, and I've done global roles since around technology and had the privilege to again see public safety around the world um, and, and to identify where those problems are uh, aligned and, and actually quite similar, despite different cultural or environmental challenges. Um, the, 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 the crux of it often have this, the, the same problems. Mm-hmm. 
Agreed. Steve, it's great to have you with us as well. I know you've also served on the front lines and in the back office of government for many years between your time in the U.S. Army, working with the GSA, and even a stint with the U.S. Department of Homeland Security. I would imagine you have experienced the power of technology quite a bit throughout your career as well. Yeah. Hey, Therese. Thanks for thanks for having me. Um, yeah, quite a quite a range of technology over the years. So I I enlisted um, a little after 9/11 in the Army. I was in a signal battalion, so we uh, were responsible for setting up telecommunications, uh, data and voice networks in mobile uh, tactical environments. So kind of laying down a web of of uh, uh, communication. So anyone, you know, on the move can talk to each other. You can't get much done without communicating. So I did that uh, for about six years. And uh, not long after there, I, I moved on to the Department of Homeland Security, working for Immigration and Customs Enforcement. And, you know, during that time, watched uh, a lot of our case management software go to a, a web-based applications to make it much more efficient and, you know, from the the, the entire process of investigation through through uh, proceedings, uh, court proceedings, et cetera, and then uh, spent quite a few years, about a decade at the General Services Administration, specifically the Federal Acquisition Service. So um, we consider agencies uh, our customers. So we're kind of between industry and uh, government agencies, federal, state, and local as well. And that was interesting, you know, so over 12 years, I think, what was it, 2008 is when we've had the iPhone released, I think. So, you know, that was um, going from, you know, moving that, having data in your hands, uh, the advantages that come with that, as well as the concerns that come with that sort of technology, um, those are those are big problems to solve, you know. So when, from a procurement standpoint, you start looking at, you know, things like, Security uh, in the cloud. So GSA, we run the FedRAMP, which is a um, security standard for any applications that are being hosted in the cloud. So that's something when the government needs to buy um, those sorts of services or products, you know, there's a lot to consider to keep things safe and secure. Um, so, yeah, I mean, I guess, you know, from a few different perspectives, I've seen it in a, you know, in a tactical environment in the field, what technology can do. There's some fascinating things that were being done in the army uh, back in the 80s that led into the technology that i worked on that was still relevant for decades uh known as msc mobile subscriber equipment um so seeing that setting up antennas and you know piping in communications hundreds of miles away you know bouncing it off the troposphere all kinds of cool stuff um to to today where you know, we, we move from a on-prem to cloud or a hybrid cloud environment and, you know, just the uh, the changes over time, the infrastructure with, you know, going to 5G um, is pretty fascinating. It's really exciting to watch. And that's why I was so excited to come to, to Zebra because we just we touch so many aspects of government, of public service uh, in a global way that it's just really neat to, to be a part of a company that's at the tip of the spear uh, with regard to technology right now. Mm-hmm. Clearly, all three of you are passionate about technological innovation and improvements in public safety. So let's talk about how far technology has come in the last 15, 20 years and how much further we must still go to fully support frontline workers, including investigators, inspectors, and others who protect and serve our communities. Steve, why don't you start? Yeah, sure. You know, 
It's funny, I just thinking back to the mobile subscriber equipment that the Army used, um, discontinued a few years ago, but that was actually the precursor to the modern-day cell phone. It's pretty interesting uh, to go back and do some research on that. I think it was General Dynamics that developed the technology. Um, but just thinking about how that's transformed, right? Like, so we were in the field setting up line-of-sight antennas to have this these people be able to talk to each other that were disconnected, they were disparate, and how that kind of was, you know, the precursor to the, you know, modern day cell phone is pretty neat. I also think back to, you know, the vehicles that we had. We didn't have in vehicle computing, um, you know, in our Humvees at the time, uh, we didn't have any screens. And nowadays, you know, all of them, even support Humvees will have, will have screens in them, you know, sometimes multiple depending on the, the type of vehicle. So, you know, from that standpoint, it's pretty fascinating to watch the transition, you know, um, with, in the procurement space, things are changing, you know, so rapidly and it's so, it's so disparate in how procurement's being done, you know, going, driving towards a centrally, uh, a central location for, for buying, um, and pulling our resources to be smarter, to do better market research, all that stuff. You know, at the end of the day, the worst thing you want to happen is you spend years and years developing requirements. You spend another year to make it a contract award. Well, then by by that time, you know, it's obsolete. You have antiquated technology. So um, trying to stay ahead of that game in GSA was an interesting uh, an interesting experience. And it uh, wasn't always successful, but it was always, always trying to keep up with uh, the constant changing of technology. Mm-hmm. Matt, anything to add on that? Yeah, I think, um, you know, following on from Steve there, the, uh, a lot of what he said resonated with me actually thinking about, you know, how that technology's moved on from not having anything in vehicles to then having, um, you know, early, early generation mobile data terminals and things like that put in there where actually they look great and they were really good. They were really cool at the time. But then when you think back to like how clunky they were or how difficult they were to operate, um, it, it's, it's, it's laughable really to, to compared to where we are today. I think. There's um there's a couple of bits that really st- stick with me when I think about that. You know, it, certainly in um, most of public safety, you'll often hear our frontline workers talk around the fact that they're behind the curve, you know, in terms of technology, because it's generally led by the consumer market. We'll then have enterprise um, or, or there's defense style budgets where there's a, a whole different league. And they sometimes often feel they sit somewhere in the middle between all that and have to wait for some of that technology to come forward before they can then start to influence it. And get what they need and it stuck me i think it's 2008 steve said was the first iphone and i think it was around 2008 2009 i was in birmingham so at birmingham uk and and actually i covered the area where if you ever watch the peaky blinders it's not a particularly nice show but but that's that's where that was that patch was was around there and if you didn't know birmingham uk has a river that runs through it um it's pretty much built up around around the city it kind of covers it and we were called out to um, in about 2008, 2009 to a 10 year old city kid who'd been playing with his football, his soccer ball, and he would kicked it. And the river was running pretty high and he, his ball had gone in and he leant with a stick over to try and uh, get the ball back. And all, all that somebody on the bus had seen was that he'd, he'd fallen over the railing and he'd gone into this river and it just swept him off. So we, we were the first crew to arrive. And at the time we had these mobile data terminals that would have been on 3G. And it was really clunkily linear maps. Um, we had a policy where you weren't allowed to have any mobile phones with you because there was a risk with that. Um, but on that day, I was fortunate that one of my crew had ignored that and had his mobile phone with him. And it was an iPhone, one of the first iPhones. Um, 
we the problem we had is we didn't know where this young lad has been swept off to. And looking at the pretty rubbish uh, map that we had um, on the back of the truck, we, we're trying to work out where it weaves and where it goes and, and, and work out access points to call on another five to ten fire trucks and ambulances to try and go to those pinch points in case he's pinned against a wall somewhere in the river. Um, my colleague who got his iPhone out was able to zoom in on the mapping and we very, very quickly, because of that level of detail, were able to work out where it was most likely he was. And we sent firefighters running off down there. And it, it actually is putting hairs on the back of my neck right now because they had to bust their way through people's back gardens and then through some fencing. And they actually found him pinned against a railing, um, a grate and you know quite a lot of pressure of river. And they're able to get there. And, and from seeing it, the, the, this young lad probably had no more than a minute or two before he would have, you know, succumbed to the pressures he was under and, and we'd have lost him. So that that really resonated with me at the time, frustrated, going, why have we got consumer grade technology in our pocket that's just saved a life, which had my colleague not have disobeyed orders and had that with him. We'd have lost a young boy there. And and I think some of those sorts of experiences really drove my passion. And then I think to today, you know, here we are today working at Zebra with with fire and rescue, police, fire and ambulance looking at uh, tracking them around buildings you know how do we locate where everyone is at any given time whether they be in buildings outdoor um, and that technology has just moved exponentially what sensors can we fit on breathing apparatus on firearms equipment and and, and protective equipment and ballistic equipment you know and suddenly give rapid situational awareness uh, and, and and a massive um, set, set of data to to responders and commanders alike you know to, to really give them the, the ability to make empowering decisions so yeah huge change Mm-hmm. We know that communications are mission critical in public safety, yet we haven't really seen the sector standardize on a single communication platform in recent years. Some are using handheld mobile computers, others carry tablets. Traditional two-way radios are still standard for voice communications. Why would you say that is, Rob? So I, I had to chuckle a little, Matthew, when you did your opening. Um, you talked about the implementation of mobile phones. My first mobile phone was actually a bag phone. For those of you out there that remember them, or uh, uh, if not, you can Google it and see the monstrosity that we carried around. But the two-way radio really is is the lifeblood of, of an officer's safety. Um, it's been around for a very long time, and there's comfort for us to really know that when I transmit something on my radio, there'll be someone on the other end to answer me uh, and provide assistance and immediate response verbally so I, I know that what I've said has, has been heard. I um, Some of the things that we deal with are, are what's called computer-aided dispatch or records management system or CAD and RMS, uh, but that can be that can take extra time for a dispatcher to enter the data uh, and then transmit it to the right people to respond. It's still quicker to just key up the radio and tell everyone what and where uh, things are happening uh, and, and get folks to respond to assist, and that goes for fire, EMS, and, and law enforcement. Uh, at the same time, electronic communications or, or with the CAD silent dispatch will allow an officer and supervisors to communicate sensitive information and share data that is really needed on the street. So you can see it besides hearing it and trying to remember it while you're driving a car and doing everything else that's involved, looking for people in the street and civilians and things like that. Um, it really helps to have that there so you can refer back to it. 
wireless communications are slowly evolving uh, to become a quick and reliable means of communications. Um, one of my uh, fellow presenters here mentioned the tragedy of 9-11. Um, unfortunately, 9-11 showed us that the previous technology really wasn't dependable at all. Um, and they say out of something bad, something good comes. Uh, and I believe in this. Based on, based on the experience, the federal government decided to establish what they called eventually the first net concept. Uh, and this is to allow for dedicated lines of communications for first responders. So you don't have that overwhelming abundance of, of traffic on the bandwidth and, and that prevents you from being able to get through. And carriers have really continued uh, to improve this uh, with better technology as, as we've seen the move from 3G to, to 4G and 5G systems. Excellent. Are public safety officers and first responders still using paper and pen at all, Matt? Uh, yeah, they are in certain places, but it's it's definitely diminishing, I think. And that's great to see, you know, as these networks are, are improving, we're, we're seeing a lot more, um, a lot more digitization. I think where probably they're behind still is is maybe um, the, the augmentation side of it. So there's still a lot of actual data entry that takes place, which can be quite manual in itself, or even though it's, it's digitizing on, on, the, on the ground. Um, you know, I think certainly this is where Zebra comes into their own, really, you know, w with our the, the vast portfolio that we've got and knowing that we know how to uh, digitize the edge of organizations with our portfolio, we're able to go in and, and, and engage with these organizations now and, and have the right sort of products. So we're seeing, you know, a big uptake on digital tablets um, and, and be that Android or Windows and the ruggedization factor. And, and there's always different elements of it. I think the handheld with mo mobile phones, we've all talked around and smartphones, you know, everybody's got one of those these days. Um, and then and then we've still got use for things like barcode scanners, mobile printers, and now things like RFID coming into that space as well. So they're definitely embracing all of it. But I think in some areas, the challenges come around that is that sometimes officers can feel like they've got too much. You know, you can have officers that have got a body worn camera. They've got a smartphone. They've got a PDA. They've got a tablet. They've also got a two way radio. Uh, P25 or Tetra and they've also got handcuffs they've also got a printer on them and then at some point they're expected to chase somebody who's uh, who's half their weight and, and maybe uh, you know driven by adrenaline to get away so you do feel for them at times and I think that's again where we can really come in and, and help because as you know we're, we're fantastic at looking at how we can uh, break down the silos of those elements of work and bring them together into single device form factor where we can and reduce the, the quantity and number of products that they need to be carrying to do the job. Mm -hmm. Agreed. Rob, do you expect public safety agencies to start adding in more advanced technology platforms as they get these fundamental digital tools in place? I know some fire departments and ambulance service providers are using RFID technology to help with asset and inventory management. But what about artificial intelligence, machine learning, and automation solutions? So, yes, Therese, um, there's been great acceptance of new technology for responders, things that make the job safer and easier while uh, protecting the responders is certainly welcome. Uh, we have a great case study on our website with the Troy, New York Police Department, where Sergeant Sam Carrillo goes through such a transformation um, using tablet PCs to boost their, their emergency response. Uh, it's a good example of, of how using modern day technology uh, has really made things better. It highlights the benefits uh, in, in keeping officers on patrol informed as well as, as 
safe and uh, the ability to prioritize and uh, the urgency of calls more effectively. Some of the other things are, are things like um, automatic license plate readers or, or automatic number plate recognition. Um, that's proving to be invaluable. Uh, here in the uh, capital city of Providence of the, uh, in Rhode Island, um, it's helped to solve numerous murders um, because there was a question of privacy, and, and that still remains to be answered. Um, but uh, it's certainly th- that type of, of intelligent technology really has helped greatly. Um, and as I say, it's resulted in, in multiple arrests and convictions uh, in murder cases and, and that type of thing uh, here in Rhode Island. Mm-hmm. Matt, I'm wondering what drives technology innovation in public safety? Oh, I think there's a, a range of factors, um, Teresa. I think the, you know, well, if you were to talk to any chief fire officer, chief police officer, chief ambulance lead around, you know, if they would like to have the most well-equipped, advanced, technologically enabled workforce, they would all say absolutely yes, where do I sign? You know, I think Stan Lee envisaged uh, Iron Man back in 1963. And if you could equip all of them with a, an iron person type um, enablement, they'd love that. But with the right people inside, right, not Tony Stark, I think. Um, that's that that's where it often comes from the leadership with the organizations but ultimately at uh, the end users on the front line like i said on the story earlier on you know you get passionate about why haven't we got equipment that's going to enable us to save lives and to do better in our in our roles so it comes from all areas but i also think that in industry we have a, a huge role to play and actually being technologists you know i think that it was jeff bezos comment around we should aim to, to work out where the customers are going and to make sure we get there before them you know and i think that requires investment, it requires listening, and it requires a lot of time. So I think, yeah, the, the, the innovation has to come from all areas, but you can't just have one element of those stakeholder groups. You've all got to work together collaboratively to get to that to that point. But we all want to get to the same outcomes. I think, actually, if you look at some of our product ranges um, and some of the solutions we're now bringing into this space, uh, it's good examples of that. You know, it's where we've worked hand in hand with the end users, with the organizations, with the unions, with the chief and the, the management and the, the executive leadership. And then also looking across the culture of that area and region to bring out the right products. You know, the ET80 product, which has come out, the ET8X product, which has come out recently. There was a lot of voice of the customer from policing that went into that. You know, we really looked at what the challenges were for, that, that faced them. We looked at the sort of applications and, and uh, workflow processes that would be involved to make sure that actually when we design, we factor all those elements in. You know, it's quite important. Mm, absolutely agree with you. Steve, let's swing it over to you. You were responsible for buying over a billion dollars worth of goods and services while you were with the GSA. I realize they weren't all for public safety use, but you've been through the government procurement process many times. What should government agencies be thinking about when procuring technology for first responders and other public safety officers? Is there a right way to research, test, and select technology solutions? You know, the the classic answer in procurement that you'll hear is it depends. It depends what you're buying. (laughs) It depends um, on a, a ton of variables. But I'd go back to what Matt said regarding working together and collaborating. I mean, I think the biggest um, the biggest hole in government procurement, state, local, federal, is the market research. Um, tons of market research is done. It has to be done. It's a, it's a requirement under federal acquisition regulations for it to be done. But just how rigorous it is, um, you know, just because something's a commodity, for example, that 
um, an agency has bought time and time again. That doesn't mean there's not a new product out there. And that's just not on the government side. That's on us, too. That's on industry to to find an approach whenever there's a source of sought or a request for information and the government's saying, hey, you know, we help us shape these requirements. We, we want to know how we can do this better. You know, we need to be engaging with government agencies, with those buyers. And then, you know, but more than just that, like you really need to know the end user, the personas, how are, what difficulties are they facing? What problems do they want to be solved? Do they need solved? So, you know, I think that kind of transcends, um, you know, from a global standpoint, it's, it's market research, really not taking something for granted um, and not just heavy R&D. You know, there's there's different programs in government. There's CRADA's cooperative research, you know, development agreements that are more for R&D purposes and and other innovation research grants and things like that. But even in your day to day procurement, I think, you know, the government um, has a responsibility and, and, you know, to find the best technology that can help that end user, whether that's, you know, a soldier, a nurse, firefighter, police officer, um, you name it, we need to get the best technology in their in their hands. So, you know, and, and one more thing with that, too, I think there's there's different contract vehicles that have been developed over the years that have really attempted to help solve this problem. And, you know, understanding the landscape of how you can procure what channels, a lot of times there's statewide contracts or um, national contracts where buying power, uh, you know, there's more competition, there's economies of scale that can help drive down costs. So I think just have, understanding every everything about the procurement as much as possible is really the goal from a from a government standpoint in getting the, the, the best technology in the hands of the end user. Mm-hmm. Makes sense. Final question for each of you. What should public safety decision makers, commanders, chiefs, even IT teams be prioritizing in the next 12 to 18 months from a technology perspective based on what you know about their current operational requirements and resources? Matt, what do you think? Well, hey, look, coming off the back of a pandemic, there's an element there that says, well, supply chain, you know, you're looking at 12 to 18 months. There's, there's, you've really got to get that vision. But I think for me, with all of these organizations, it's, it, I, I call it, um, I call it the, the, the problem vision and the three C's. So I think really they've all got to get, get it, give, give themselves time and space where they can to analyze the problem, prioritize the challenges that they've got within those problems and understand how each of those problems interconnect because you'll often find silo projects in these organizations where they're not consulting with each other. Once you've done that, you can set a vision so everyone's working towards the same goal at the end of it. And then the three C's for me is always culture, collaboration and courage. You know, these guys are every day, they are end users that are, are, are courageous in what they're doing. But actually, if they can establish a culture in their organization, which is, you know, all about change and, and embracing ideas and understanding the problems and helping each other with ideas along the way and then collaborate to do that. But then more importantly, having the courage to start doing things differently, you know, because th- we always resort to the same thing. We're humans. If somebody tells me tomorrow night I've got to go to a very fancy event and I haven't got a tux that I'll fit into, I'll run and I'll panic by something. Right. And that's that's what we see all the way across with public spending. If you give yourself the time and space for the next 12 to 18 months to work out what that vision should be, you can be really successful and actually leaders, you know, across the world in, in how you drive change. Mm-hmm. Good points. Rob, anything to add? Sure. So um, I think that, you know, we've touched on a lot of information. Um, 
One of the most important things is to continue with the deployment and use of technology. Sometimes technology can be scary. And uh, I'll tell you that this doesn't stop in a police vehicle or a report rating room or an ambulance. Uh, it includes further deployment of, of things like body-worn cameras, uh, digital evidence management systems, better documentation and, and accurate documentation um, that can be uh, quantified and qualified. Uh, automation and technology will, will continue to allow our first responders to be safer and more effective in their jobs. And in doing so, it will also help to regain public confidence, which I think we all know uh, has eroded somewhat in recent years in our first responders. And I think that's critical in today's society. Mm-hmm. Good point. Steve, what do you think? 18 months. What's the priority? Yeah, it's hard. It's hard not to think about the supply chain uh, issues that we're facing. But, you know, I think at Zebra, we use the phrase safe, smart and reliable when we start talking about public sector and government. And I I really like how that hits home, um, not just the next 18 months, but, you know, anytime. And I think, you know, understanding where your items are located at, we all want to avoid fraud and waste and stuff like that in government. And there's there's new technologies and ways in which we can be sure we have the right product at the right place at the right time. So I think some of that track and trace and, um, you know, asset management, things like that, that Zebra does a fantastic job at enabling. I think that's something in the immediate term that, you know, public safety and other government agencies really need to look to. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Well, thank you all for being with us today. I feel like you each issued strong calls to action for us, so I'll be curious to see how public safety leaders respond. I'd love to catch up with you again in a few months to see how agencies' technology strategies start to shape up with all these new tools coming to the market. And please keep us apprised of what you're learning as you work with public safety agencies to implement these technologies. I know the public safety community is very collaborative since there really isn't any competition, and our listeners would love to know which technologies are driving improvements in communication, safety, situational awareness, accountability, and resource management. I also want to encourage our listeners to subscribe to the Your Edge blog to stay up to date when we publish new insights from Zebra and our industry experts. Just look for the button on the right-hand side of each blog page and drop in your email. You can also catch up on recent podcasts in the top navigation bar of the Your Edge blog homepage. I'm Therese Van Ryn. Until next time.